Welcome to Valley Community Church. Our Sunday sermons are available online to help you grow in your Christian faith. Our messages are practical and applicable truths from the Bible for today's life challenges. And now, Senior Pastor David Schmaltz. I want to talk to you about your inadequacy, my inadequacy, and God's power. And God's got some awesome power, does he not? And I'm sure glad that I uh, have access to that. I've experienced it, you've experienced it. But how do we stay there at that well? You know, anytime we face, you know, new things in our lives, we face that fear of inadequacy, don't we? Whether it be a new job, it's a very simple fear, you know, to describe. It's when you look at your life and you think, I don't have what it takes. Have you been there before? I've been there. We were just talking about that, weren't we, Kim? <laughs> I don't have what it takes to be a parent. Now, this is where we're kind of getting closing in because a lot of times we hear a message and uh, we get a little overwhelmed by truth. Truth is sometimes just, it can be so heavy upon us. We can, we can feel so inadequate when we, we think about parenting to be a leader. You know, some of us are called to be a leader and we can definitely, and I'll tell you what, on most days I just say, Lord, I feel like Moses out there in the desert. Lord, I don't know what to do with your people. No clue. Don't know where to go. But to be a leader in our lives, whether it be a husband, a wife, to be a believer in general. Have you ever felt that way? We all have. Everyone in this room has definitely felt this way before. It's very important to understand that God doesn't want us to feel this way, and that's key. He does not want us to feel that way. A lot of times we get confused in Christianity in the church. Sometimes people confuse this fear with humility, and they think God wants us to feel this way. And that, that kind of bothers me. It's a false humility. And you feel, we just feel like God wants us to stay down. And, and uh, I've heard people quote that, say, you know, anytime you're feeling happy, that can't be God. And that's silly, isn't it? That's not the heart of God. God wants us to feel, and as they would say, like we're not worth much, but just sh- sh- sort of down here. But that's not at all true, is it? Not at all. In Ephesians chapter 1, 19, it says this. I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. And in 2 Timothy 1.7, it says, For God did not give us a spirit of timidity. That's a great word, isn't it? Timidity. That's not just fear, but that's the result of fear. And God has not given us that spirit, but he's given us a, a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline or self-control. Power, love, that's what he's put inside us, people. Okay? Not to be broken and cast down and, and in this constant state of, of, of ever, you know, this need and, and falling short. That first prayer is my prayer for us today. And I pray that the eyes of our heart may be opened, that we can see from the inside out how God's great power is for our life. Amen? And it's a truth, but how do you break that down? Well, we're going to talk about that today. It's the answer to this fear of inadequacy in our lives. You might circle in your notes his comparably great power. It's his. Incomparable, it's his power. And it is going to work. 
it's going to produce in us. He wants to share it with us. And how great is that power? He keeps the world spinning, doesn't he? I mean, you compare that kind of power that we see. He keeps the sun burning. He takes billions of stars and hangs them in place and keeps them there. Every minute of every day, and the Bible says he wants to take that great power and he wants to transform it into our lives and make it work in our lives. And that's really, that's where the hope is. God, you talk about this power. I need it in my life. Is that where you live? It's where I live. He wants to take our feeling of, I don't have what it takes, and he wants to express to us that he's the one who has what it takes in every part of our life. That's the exchange. That's the exchange that we spend the rest of our life trying to figure out. That as we face those inadequacies, inadequacies, as we come up short, how do we connect to God so that we can get his power? How? How does he do it? How do I experience his power in my life? We have to learn to trade in our response to our feelings of inadequacy for God's response to our feelings. Get, and, and, and let him do that. Let God's response. What is God's response? When you learn that you begin to set aside this fear and begin to enjoy a new sense of strength and power and real confidence in everyday life, when we get to that place we, where we can enjoy it, we can tap into it, Feel it, understand it, become used to it. And as a matter of fact, get to the place in our life where we can't live without it. You know what I'm talking about? You know, it, it would almost be like air. I mean, it, it probably not very many, uh, many of us have felt that way before where maybe we're coming up short and we can't breathe. But very much in us. So what is our natural response? Some of the things you think of were things that described in the first time anyone feels inadequate. It started way back there in the Garden of Eden, didn't it? The feeling of inadequacy. The Bible tells us that Adam and Eve bit into that apple and they realized they were naked and they were ashamed. That's not a bad description of what inadequacy is really all about. All all of a sudden, you've got this terrible realization of what's missing in your life, and you struggle with that. Coming up short, coming up into a situation when you realize, I do not have what I need in my marriage, in my workplace, internally to fight some of the battles that I know I'm having to fight. We all experience that, don't we? And, you know, it's, it, it's, it's amazing because I talk to people all the time and they say, when I hear people share their struggles, I begin to realize, you know what, I'm not alone. Have you ever felt that way? Well, we felt both ways. We felt alone, haven't we? Where we feel like, you know, nobody, gosh, I don't think there's any other Christian out there that's feeling what I'm feeling, have been through what I'm going through. But it's not true. And a lot of times we just need to take some time to figure that out. That reminds me of a story about a pastor who went to preach a sermon, and he used one of those loose-leaf Bibles. This is a good one. Ones that you could take pages in and out of so that you could put your own notes in. You know what I'm talking about? I don't see those around nearly as much, probably because of this. On the way up to preach, he didn't know that, but one of the pages of Scripture had fallen out. And so he got up and was uh, going to tell the story of Adam and Eve. 
And so he read, and God, I'm sorry, and Adam said to Eve, and he turned the page. And one page had fallen out, and so he didn't realize it. He turned back, and he did it again. And God said to Eve, and or I'm sorry, and Adam said to Eve, and, and Adam said to Eve, and so he was kind of stuck. And then finally he says, very interesting, it looks like there's a leaf missing. <laughs> you know, he wasn't trying to do anything like that, but, you know, it was kind of an interesting response. <laughs> you know, that's inadequacy for sure. You just have that feeling something's missing in your life. You're not always sure what it is, but that's it. So look at the response. When we feel inadequate, we cover up. That's Adam and Eve. See, it's, isn't it interesting that that was a result of sin? That was a result of stepping away from God, and we shouldn't miss that. I mean, that whole, you know, they, they, they talk about this in, in, in hermeneutics and in Bible study and something I'm, I'm sure you would enjoy if you got into this, and that they call it the principle of first mention. That in the scriptures where you find certain topics first mentioned is where you're going to find the seeds of so many truths. And, it, and it's wonderful. It's, it's great for preaching. It's great for teaching. It's great for your own life. But, so we find in Adam and Eve, man, an amazing amount of biblical principles just all right there. And that's it. The moment they stepped away from God, it began the process of, uh, of, of inadequacy coming up short. So Adam and Eve, they sowed some fig leaves to cover up, didn't they? We pretend we've got it all together. I understand. Everything's fine. We cover up. We don't want to let anybody know, you know, what's going on inside us. Isn't that true? We're a little more complex. We've learned, you know, to do that. I I call adults pretty much just grown-up kids. And we just get a whole lot better at hiding the fact that we took a cookie out of the jar. You know, kids, they can't hide it, can they? Did you take a cookie? No. I mean, I got my kids down. But as we grow older, we just get a whole lot better at that and hiding the cookie. But they hid out in bushes, didn't they? Again, we hide in our office or in our house. Or in our car, we say, I'm never going to let myself be hurt like that again. I'm never going to face a situation like that again. I just won't go. I won't be there. We all do that, don't we? When we begin to feel inadequate, we hide out. Have you ever hid out, hidden out a little bit? Sure. Our community is full of, of people that are hiding out. And again, sometimes we hide out in the woods. Sometimes we hide out. Again, in so many different places, but that's really what we're doing. And that's signaling inadequacy. It's signaling I'm falling short on the inside, and I really don't know what to do about it. Another thing we, we, we put down, this is probably the most natural response to feeling inadequate. inadequate. They, they blamed each other, didn't they? Adam and Eve, they blamed each other. When you feel inadequate, the most natural response is to put somebody else down. I'm feeling inadequate, so let's make them feel inadequate too. We do that, don't we? You know, and it's sad. We do it to each other. We try to bring those other people down to the feeling or that level of of where we are. You know, we we see somebody that's filled with joy. And you see children do it too. That's why you have bullies. You want to know why that we have bullies and bullying? It's because 
naturally inside each one of us, we don't like others to, to be in a place where we want to be. So we've got to pull them down. You're feeling happy? I don't want you to feel happy anymore. So let me punch you in the arm. How's that? <clears throat> uh, when I first started working at Manit Church, uh, I was hired as a youth pastor, and uh, there was this pastor. Uh, I doubt that he's going to listen to this message. But if you are, take this. Anyway, I used, to walk in the, I used to walk in, and the first thing he would do is punch me in the arm. Pow! It's like, well, good morning to you. And it happened day after day. So finally, he hit me, and I hit him back. <laughs> he used to go, bop. I hit him so hard, he went flopping down the hallway. He got himself up, and he brushed himself up, and he goes, hey, good morning to you. And that was the last time he hit me. <laughs> I, I learned a little lesson on that day. Where's Pastor Jamie? Yeah, I learned something about that, you know? Not that I'm endorsing that. Anyway, it's just funny how people may not punch one another, but we certainly do other things like, you know, hey, I bought a new car. Hey, yeah, well, I read in Edmonds that that's probably one of the worst part cars you could buy. Well, thanks for raining on my parade. Yeah, I was already feeling just a little buyer's remorse. Now I'm just way over the top, right? So we try that. Uh, these, these responses, you know, hiding out, covering up, putting down. If you do these things in life, it's not going to make you feel any more powerful or any more adequate. It's just going to confirm and strengthen the feelings of inadequacy that we all face in our lives. That's all it's going to do. There is a different direction we can take. It's God's direction. Isn't that right? See, I'm set free from that fear of inadequacy. So are you. Not by great successes, but from how I respond to the difficult circumstances. How I respond to them. It's not great successes that make me feel more adequate. And see, uh, we, we don't buy into that, though, do we? You know, people see... You know, I, I use this quite a bit, but I, I, I'll just throw it out there. But, you know, people read in the magazines how people get into greatness and it destroys their lives. You know, Tate and I were watching and we saw Heath Ledger up there and we both were just like, man, he was such a cool guy, but he's dead. You know, and he, you know, he overdosed on drugs because he was just, you know, I've got a theory on all that and you've heard me say it before, but it's just, we don't learn our lesson about watching people that go before us because, and here's the point, we think that glory in this life is the answer to adequacy, to making us feel important. That if we feel important, that if we're doing something apart from God and making people feel to like us, we don't realize that in the end that will destroy us without God. We need to remember that. But again, a lot of people think it is that if you can have a few successes in life, that it would get you over the hump, but it doesn't work. Many times, the more successes you have, the more you feel like you have to match up to it, and you feel more and more inadequate in life. Man, talk about the mouse on the wheel, huh? Think about the entertainment world. John Houseman said, one of the emotions of my life when it comes from acting has been terror. Terror. 
Richard Burton admitted that one of the reasons he became an alcoholic was because he was terrified someone would discover who he really was. I mean, we don't have to go to actors and actresses to find that. I think so many of, 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 of the people in the church, we try to do the same thing with our Sunday smiles. Just recently, Barbara Streisand began singing again. After not singing in public for 20 years, she felt inadequate. With a voice like hers, she felt inadequate? Come on. I mean, it is funny sometimes when you see some people that are just loaded for bear and what they can do and you, you, or, or their beauty or their talent or their physicality or whatever it is. You talk to them and they're broken they're, they feel inadequate, they're fearful, they think that they're not, any, they, they don't understand their gift. It's so sad. So blessed, and they can't enjoy it. It reminds me of that scripture that just says there in Proverbs, it says, God blesses the righteous with wealth, and he adds no trouble to it. And the same way the principle works, that God blesses us with talent and so many wonderful things, but without him, we really can't enjoy it. Successes don't do it. You can't pile up enough of them to make you feel more adequate in life. You just can't do it. The way to begin to feel a new sense of confidence and strength and power in life is to begin to learn how to respond to difficult circumstances. When you and I feel inadequate, God sends difficult circumstances into our life. Well, thank you, God. But that's his way. That's how God teaches us. When you and I feel inadequate, God sends those difficult circumstances. We can respond in one of two ways. We can get mad and bitter and feel more and more inadequate, or we can understand the way God wants us to respond. And once you and I have learned, then we can begin to build confidence into our life, that confidence that's based in God. It would be easy this morning to just spend 20 minutes building you up building up your confidence, telling you how great you are and how you can go out and do anything. But that would only get you just about two or three steps out into the parking lot, wouldn't it? Come on, let's be honest. It's shh, 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 you know, filling up our souls with that confidence. You are awesome. You are great. But we've already talked about that even those who, who have that, who have such a tremendous capacity that the balloon of their heart is much bigger than ours, they still can't hold it. So who are we? Again, it's not God's way of building confidence into our, our, our lives. His way is to send into our lives some tough circumstances to show us, to teach us how to respond. That's a God way. We need to catch it. And when we respond in the right way, he builds confidence into our life. But it's a confidence that is so much different. It's a confidence in God. It's clearly built on the ways of God inside us. And, we, and, and so when people come up and say, man, that was a great job, the first thing you realize is, I really didn't do that. I mean, I, I, I just showed up. And God used those talents. God used it. Matter of fact, that's why God really, really loves taking somebody who's got nothing and making something great out of them. He loves taking Gideons. He loves taking the Esthers. He loves taking the Ruths. 
and pulling them out of the, the dust and the mire and the mud and raising them up so that when we look at them, we can know without a shadow, with the, the Daniels, the Davids, it goes on and on. And our name is on that list. So there are three circumstances. He most popularly sends into our, all of our lives, and the response you and I can make is what's going to build that confidence. So let's look at them. Number one is incurable weakness. You build confidence as you respond to that incurable weakness with dependence. That means you have to face it. That means you have to embrace it with dependence on God. Number two, unreasonable people. Oh, that's my, that's my least favorite. I mean, I'll, I'll fight the stuff on the inside and maybe even some exterior other things. But man, unreasonable people. You need to learn to build adequacy to respond to unreasonable pe- people with what? With patience. Oh, Lord help us. Thirdly, impossible problems with faith. With faith, trusting in God. Let's look at incurable weakness. In 2 Corinthians... Uh, 12, the Apostle Paul, as great as he was, struggled with some incurable weaknesses in his life, didn't he? And because of this, he asked God to take them away. He said, I don't want to live like this. And God said, no. And this was his response. God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. See, that's what we're talking about here. For when I am weak, then I am strong. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. What do we do? Live in the opposite world here? Well, we kind of do. As a matter of fact, I've preached this before, the kingdom of the upside down. (laughs) As a matter of fact, almost everything that we think naturally is wrong. That it has to be processed through Scripture to get us right. But doesn't that make sense, though, because of the fall in the garden, that everything got, got rewired wrong? But only the Bible gets us back to get our wiring right. So what is an incurable weakness when we think in terms of of what Paul was talking about there? Some of you get weak at the knees when you see a chocolate bar. Isn't that right, some of us? Is Andrea here? She stepped out. Oh, good, I can tell her. I mean, I can tell her. No, man, the other day we finished up dinner and she goes, man, do we have any chocolate? And I said no, and man, you should have seen her eyes. They're just, I mean, she was lost. The poor thing. She needed chocolate right then and now. Uh huh. <laughs> That's a weakness right there. I mean, for me, it's anything. Well, we won't get into that. All right. So, but is that what we're really talking about? No. It's not sin in our lives because that's curable. It's not the sin. Wow. Check that out for a minute, because a lot of people just stay there. A lot of places in churches, they think they just keep going over the sin issue. You know, just continuing to say, oh, please forgive me for my sin. And and during the week, man, you just run out. And the next thing you know, you you don't think you're saved anymore. And I mean, that's just this wicked cycle. But that's not what Jesus died on the cross for us to have. The sin is not the problem. He took care of that on the cross. That's, (laughs) I mean, you know, sin was taken care of. While we were sinners, right? While we were yet sinners, he died. So we're not talking about sin. We can change. He did the work. And we're not talking about temptation either. 
An incurable weakness, a weakness is a limitation. It, is, it can be physical. It can be emotional. A talent limitation. It's any limitation in our life that's inherited or you can't change. I like to call them infirmities. That's an, another great Bible word. Paul had a name for his weakness. He called it a thorn in his flesh, didn't he? We don't know what it was. I mean, there's some people that have talked about different things. Lust, uh, covetousness might have been it. He might have been just talking about his eye problem because he consistently had trouble with his eyes after he was zapped there on the road to Damascus. A lot of people have a lot of different ideas. Some people think it is the fact that, again, he couldn't see well, or malaria. One guy said his thorn in the flesh was his wife. I don't want to comment on that one at all. I'm just going to leave it alone. I never thought Paul was married, but, you know, Paul was a Pharisee because um, he said he was a Pharisee, and during that time you could not be Pharisee without having been married. So that's interesting, isn't it? Some people believe that when he got saved, she left him, but no one really knows. So I don't know where these commentaries get this, you know, some of the things, but I don't think that it, that's what it was. I think it was some kind of limitation or a physical limitation in his life. That's very possible. Probably more probable that that's what Paul was really talking about. And so he says, my power, or this is God speaking to him, my power is made perfect in weakness. And that does sound strange, doesn't it? Doesn't it seem like God would make his power more perfect in our lives by causing us to be more powerful? But it doesn't work that way. When I face a weakness in my life that invites me to respond to God in a way that I can build a new sense, a new sense of confidence, the Living Bible, you know, it translates this verse, my power shows up best in weak people. I like that. So, you know, Paul later on, you know, just says, hey, look, so wow, I'm going to rejoice in my weaknesses. I'm going to celebrate my weaknesses. That sounds a little weird. But when we think in terms of this process, it makes complete sense. You ever ever seen... One of the, you know, the healing TV, TV service, uh, healing services on TV, people are being healed and they're talking about how great and powerful God is. Paul saw God's power in his weakness, the fact that he didn't, that he didn't get healed, possibly, which is interesting. Again, maybe it was his eyesight. Paul went to certain cities, not only because God had called him to there, but there were also certain cities that were well known for eye salves and things that he might be able to use in his eyes. Interesting, isn't it? How can you see God's power in a physical limitation? How can you see God's power in the fact that you're not as talented as somebody else? One word, dependence. You know, often I have found that to be true. Very, very true. You know, I didn't have a lot of things in my life growing up that so many other people have, and certainly my children. And, and, and a lot of times, you, you know, we ask that. God, why, look, with knowing that you, what you had planned for me in my life, why did I end up with a family that I ended up with? I mean, yeah, that can get out of control, and especially for families that are watching this video right now. Why? I don't know. God put us together. But a lot of times, a lot of the brokenness and the things that we experience, again, it qualifies us even more. So when I respond to incurable weakness with dependence, you know, when I do that, 
that's when things really get cooking. Many times our response to our feelings of inadequacy or insecurity is we keep life pared down to our human limitations. This is what I can do. This is what I can't do. And so we get wrapped up in ourselves, and that usually is a pretty small package. Isn't that true? To help you see where you might be surrendering in your life to this fear and inadequacy, you've got to ask yourself this question once a month or so. What am I attempting in my life that I could not pull off in my own strength that requires God's strength? You know, think about that. Dependence helps us to understand God's strength in our lives. How do you, you know, see, I often wonder about that. I mean, you know, I heard a, pra- a pastor preach one time, and I was just like, wow, that's kind of weird. But he said, you know what, I, I don't sin anymore. I've come to the place in my life where I no longer sin. I heard this guy preach that. I'm serious. I was at a conference, and I'm just like, well, I hate to say it, bro, but that was a sin right there. That's called pride. Anyway, I didn't say it to him because he's, he was a big-name dude, so I, you know, I didn't mess with that. But anyway, you know what? I mean, the truth is I don't think God is going to ever get that, let us get to that place in this life unless, of course, you want to become a monk or a monk-ass and go get on a mountain, you know. And, you know, I mean, that's why they did that was to limit the amount. But see, God says, no, 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 no. I want you in all your beautiful weakness, in all that you are. And I like it all hanging out there because at that point, that is where I'm going to show my strength. Now, of course, we need to cooperate. We don't need to say, oh, man, God is stronger when I sin more. Hey, that's a cool idea. Now, look, Paul was accused of that. There in Romans chapter 6, he says, no, 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 no. Sin is death. Now, we're not talking about sin. We're talking about infirmity. We're talking about areas where we completely feel insecure and lost and short, you know, uh, shortened out. So dependence helps us to under God, understand God's strength, doesn't it? Dependence on him and not ourselves. I think a lot of times when people think about depending on God, they think of a large rock and you're leaning on him, and it's a very secure place. Maybe that's part of the picture, but it's not all of it. I think of it as not leaning on a large rock, but as getting on a large rocket. He's going somewhere. God is going somewhere. He's, he, and, and when we depend on him, it's like getting on this space shuttle. It's going to take off and fly. There's a power there that you don't have in this life. And depending on him ties us to that power. The Bible tells us, you know, apart from Christ, we can do what? Nothing. But in Christ, we can do what? All things. So we spend the rest of our life figuring that one out. Proverbs 10, it says, a a self-sufficient fool falls flat on his face. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Pretty much sums it up. Sometimes God has to put us flat on our back to keep us from falling flat on our face. Hmm. And, you know, and the hardest part is we'll never know that till we get to heaven. And, we'll, and you know, because a lot of us have got some stuff we're going to take up with Jesus. There's going to be a long line. Okay, Lord, I, I need to talk to you about my family. 
I need to talk to you about my marriage. I need to talk to you about this, that, and the other thing because I feel like I got a bum deal. And he'll, and, and he'll just say, look, can, in an instant, we'll get the full picture and we'll be like, oh, okay. But so when we're flat on our, you know, on our back, so we can you know, really look up. And this is a great idea. You know, to look up and to say to him, I need to depend on you more in my life. That's why he sends the weakness into our life. God loves to turn our greatest weaknesses into our greatest what? Strengths. That's what Paul said. Where I'm weak, then I'm strong. If one of those people who think you could never really be a person of faith to trust God were, you know, talking about, you know, that were like what we're talking about, you respect people who do. You wish you could be like that, but you think you don't have that kind of faith to trust. The greatest people of faith that I've, that I've known often have been those people who, you know, that you've looked at before, and they became a believer and said they could never be a person of faith. Their faith is filled with sin and temptation and struggle and difficulty, that they could never be a person of faith. But the greatest people I've known of faith have been those very people. Isn't that true? And if you've never met those people, then you, you don't get out enough. You don't connect with enough people around you to see that, man, sometimes the people that you see serving and, and doing the, and, and out there and, and you see the love of God just glowing off of their face, you know, they could have been one of those people that used to dance in this room and party hard. Yeah. You know, in a smaller town, you know, that becomes more evident. But that's really a good thing. Because then people can give glory to God because they see the difference. And they say, only God could have done that. Because I remember what they were like before. The same is true of the stories of people in the Bible. When you, you come to Christ in that way, he often turns our greatest weakness into the greatest strength. Isn't that true? Let's talk about the second point, the unreasonable people. Oh, Lord. Do you know of any unreasonable people? We all have unreasonable people in our lives. Yes, we do. They're a part of our lives. One person said unreasonable people are like heavenly sandpaper. Right? They irritate out the rough edges in your life. Rub them clean out. So what does an, an unreasonable person look like? Timothy faced a lot of them. They criticized much more than they encouraged. They attacked, making us, you know, and they're always on the offensive. They want to, you know, to get you involved in arguments to kind of, you know, draw you in. It seems like you can never just have a discussion with this person. It's always an argument. You know what I'm talking about? They tend to major on the minors and they keep away from focusing on what's really important. And they're often filled with selfishness if we really were honest. Does that remind you of anyone? <laughs> that was a rhetorical question, so I mean, no, I'm kidding, kidding. Sometimes you work with them. Sometimes they're, they're in your small group. Sometimes they're in your carpool. Sometimes they have so many rough edges in your life that God has to, you know, God's seen it. And you might even be married to that heavenly sandpaper. Whose words do you remember more, the encourager or the critic, really? The critic. We know that statistically to be true. That shows the power of the unreasonable person in our life. And God has sent these people into our life to build into us a sense of his power. You know, that, that is just one 
that I really want to take God up on when I get to heaven. See, and a lot of times we want to avoid those people, don't we? We want, we'd rather have peace, which is why the I connect here is so very important, which is why the church is so very important. It is a part of the process, people. To avoid uncomfortable people is actually avoiding certain classes in the study of your life. You're called to get a degree in holiness. And each of those classes might even have a name on it of a person who God is called to be a part of that process. The truth of the matter is that you can't be that close to somebody without irritating you every once in a while. Isn't that true? You just can't. I don't understand how in the world any one of us can go so quickly from wanting to spend the rest of our life you know, with someone, like our wives or our husbands, to I can't stand it when you do that thing. You know, uh, one of my cousins got married this weekend, uh, Aaron Gray, seven foot tall, married a gal that's only like five foot two. It's pretty amazing. And put her in her pocket and put him, you know, put her in her, you know. happy for him, excited for him. But when you see people getting married and you've been married a number of years, you just smile because <laughs> you look at them and they're just like, oh. You're so perfect for me. And I mean, the look in their eyes is just like, we're going to be in bliss forever. You can just see the swaying. It's best not to even say a word to them, man. Just let them find out on their own. Right? It happens. But a lot of times, that's the very person that God is going to use. And most, I mean, I agree. Isn't that right, Joe and Jane? We learn that. Not for them personally what they do there was a time well and, and it always works that way god has sent these people in our life to develop a sense of his power how what is the response i can have what is it that i can develop it's patience right again and again the bible encourages us to be patient with unreasonable pe- uh, with unreasonable pe- people in order to get that kind of pa- patience we got to get it from god got to get it from god When you love the unlovely, you're acting most like God than any other time in your life. Jesus said to love our enemies so that we can be just like our Heavenly Father. He sends His Son on the evil and the good. And when we begin to get into, if we we bite into the the, the religious thing and and all of that, we miss it. Ephesians 4.2 says, be patient with one another, making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. We've got to make allowance. We've got to give ourselves the freedom to fail once in a while, especially when it comes to relationships. Romans 12, it says, be at peace with everyone just as much as possible. There's only one, uh, there's only so much I can do in a relationship. Isn't that true? There are some people that we're called to that we're supposed to just you know, like in marriage and other kind of relationships, family, but in the church family too, that we're just called to just, man, we, we're just going to hammer this thing out. And in the process of us, both are being shaped. It's hard, but it's an absolute great path. You know, I, I mean, I know I'm taking a little bit of a, you know, a something to say this, but I've, I, I walk, I've been walking around to everyone who, who have stayed with us 
for the 10 years that we've been here. And just going and look at him, looking at him and say, look, thank you for staying with us. Thank you. I know it's been hard. I know I've rubbed you the wrong way. And, and that's just the way it works. But you know what? The closest friendships I have in my life are the people that I have fought with the most and we've worked through it. The people we had some of the biggest disagreements and we sat down and just said, look, let's work through this thing. I know you don't like what I do, but can we work through this thing and grow? And when you bite, when both of you bite into a deeper love, man, then that relationship really, really grows and you understand each other. I mean, you know, we, we do that in family. We understand that in family, but we really need to understand that in the church too, don't we? We really should. And a lot of times when it gets real tough, we just want to bail on it. And what we don't realize is you're just going to start all over again. And look, man, at 51, I do not want to start all over again. I just don't want to do it. But sometimes you gotta, we do have to move on. Sometimes, and I've learned that too, that sometimes you just can't force people to love you. So the third is the, thir- the third way that God uses is impossible problems. He encourages us to learn to respond to those impossible problems with faith. A lot of times we think, if God is trying to help me become one, uh, becoming more confident, why does he often put me in places where it seems like I can't succeed, right? I mean, it's just like, I thought we were in this, in this to, for success. Mm. So how does that build my self-confidence, Lord? He's not trying to build your self-confidence. That's the key. He's trying to build our confidence in who? In him. That's where the real power is. That's where the strength is. Jesus called his disciples timid only once. They had a lot of problems as disciples. They made a lot of mistakes and did a lot of dumb things, but there was only one time that he called them timid. It was when they were in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. You remember that? And there was a huge storm that came by. These disciples were fishermen. They knew the dangerous storm, and they knew this was one that was pretty dangerous, but they were still afraid for their lives. They were in panic, running around, wondering what to do. Jesus was sleeping through the whole thing, and finally he woke up. He stretched out his arms and said, Peace be still. And the storm was calm. He looked at his disciples and he said, You timid disciples, you men of little faith, I think if I'm in the middle of a hurricane, don't I have the right to be a little frightened? Be in a little bit of panic? I think the reason Jesus was upset was because they were focused on the storm around them and not on him. Not who they had in the boat. Not tapping into the resource that they had watched him. They'd seen him do miracle after miracle after miracle But isn't it true that even after all the miracles that we've experienced, we always think that that next one is a little different, don't we? He was upset because, again, they were focusing on the storm. You know, so as a parent, if you have the the answer to one of your kids' problems, if you could help them, and they didn't ask you for, for your help, wouldn't that upset you? It does. I mean, as parents, we look at it and we see them, hey, can I help you with that? No, I got this. And, you, you know, 
it does upset you a little bit because in so many ways, one, maybe you're frustrated that they're so proud they wouldn't let you do it. I mean, also, you hurt for them because you'd like to take that away so quickly. It upset Jesus, and rightfully so. He knew he had the answer. He had the power to make the difference. He could make the storm go away in an instant. But they weren't asking him. The fishermen covered, I mean, I'm sorry, covered, uh, cowered, I'm sorry, from the waves in timid fear instead of calling out upon the master of total faith, with total faith. The disciples were in over their heads, literally. They couldn't handle it. So that was not what upset Jesus. It was the fact that they didn't turn to him and say, you can't handle this. I mean, we can't handle this. I mean, that's what he was frustrated about. They, they, they needed to come and say, look, this is, this is too much. Jesus, we need you to be the Savior. And that's what we need to do in our life. That's what, if we really want to you know, grab the heart of God, it's that right there. Right there. Lord, I admit, I need you right now in my life. I'm trying to do this on my own. <clears throat> Luke 1.37 says, God can do anything. 18.27, God can do all things. I'm sorry, that God can do those things that are not possible for people to do. Of course he can. He's God, right? God can do anything. But have you discovered that in, a personal, that, you know, in that, that personal way in your life? The way that God helps you to discover is by sending impossible problems. Mm. Jesus said to his disciples at the end of the storm, why were you so fearful? Don't you even have confidence in me? Impossible problem, problems are an invitation to have confidence in God and not in ourselves. So God does send them. And you might be sitting here today and you've got some of those impossible problems going on right now. And what have you heard me say that they are? They're opportunities, are they not? You need to see that as such. You don't need to say, like I've heard someone recently say, they said, God has abandoned me. No, he has not. No, he has not. He'll never leave you, never forsake you. So why am I in the storm? Why am I in, my, in, 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 in a difficult situation? Well, I think what we need to see here is that God is saying, look, this can all stop if you just surrender to me. Stop fighting me. Stop trying to tell, take alcohol and cover over the pain or drugs. Stop trying to take sex and relationships and cover over the pain. Stop trying to escape into recreation. Stop trying to escape in fantasy. Stop trying to do anything other than to just stop and say, God, I need you here in my life. And in invite him in. And push away that helping of self-service and self-confidence. To push it away. So that we can grow in our appetite for Christ. Grow in our need. You know, do I ever feel inadequate? Absolutely. You know, trying to tell hundreds of people about the love of Jesus. Encouraging to say, look, please try this. Sometimes I feel like a, I'm, a, I'm a snake oil salesman. Here, try this. I guarantee it'll work. It's cheap today. As a matter of fact, it's free. 
You know, a little song and dance. You know? But, you know, and you, in, in, you know, we go to conferences. Matter of fact, I'm getting ready to go to a GROW conference down in Alabama. I'm excited about some of the things that other churches are doing in the country. But at the, at the end of the day, it's not all the stuff, is it? It's trusting in him, that he is the builder of his church. That's what I had to come to that fresh realization in my sabbatical last year, was to, and that was, had brought me to that place. And we all get there. We all get burnout. We get to that place of burnout, and why do we get to burnout? It's because we're using our own strength. Man, we're running on our own steam. And some of us can go a lot longer than others just on personal strength, just on personal energy. But, you know, at times in life, man, we just, we just run out, and, and sometimes that can be catastrophic. An end of a marriage, a bad decision, regarding, you know, the direction of your life. And I've seen a lot of people that do that in midlife where they just make really poor decisions. It's because they're panicking. They begin bailing in the boat and they forget or, you know, or, they, or they start taking down and they just start messing with the tackle. They, they actually start pounding in the bottom of the boat thinking that's going to help and put a hole in their own boat. When what we really need to do is just sit, take a deep breath, breathe in God, Look at Jesus and say, I'm clueless. I don't know what to do. So would you please come into my life and help me? Would you be my strength? Would you be my everything? The same God who made the heavens and the earth by his great power, he says, nothing is too hard for me. So true. So God sees our inadequacy. He knows our fears. He knows all of these things, and he wants to get in there. And that is really the key to coming into that successful place. Really, this, folks, this is really Christianity 101. It truly is. When we get that, then the adventure, the real adventure begins in every area of our life. In the middle of your marriage, in your workplace, your hopes and dreams for the future. I mean, it's very much like moving out into the West, you know. Everybody was full of promise and hope. And so many perished along the way because they were not adequately prepared. And so we're on this adventure too. And God says, look, I want to load you up. He wants to do it. He wants to best thing we can do is load up with him. Amen? Load up with and just let him, just staying connected to him. You know, I'll finish with this last illustration. You know, um, you hear the air conditioning running here, and you know they've got an intake. And in, the, in that intake, there's a filter, isn't there? You know, and over time, that filter begins to clog up. And what does that do? It begins to have less, and less air that can go into the system that can be cooled or heated. And one day you're sitting there hot or you're cold and you're wondering why. we got a blocked filter. What do you got to do? you got to change it, right? Because the truth is you can't get out when you're not taking in. You know? Your life will not be impacted if you're not drawing in Jesus into your life. If he's, 
if the fresh air of his truth is not constantly blowing through you. Amen? So let's stand up this morning. Let me pray for you. Let's pray together. And if I could have our prayer teams, please come. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you love us and you're for us. But Lord, we know also that, God, you will send, Lord, those difficult circumstances our way, that you're not removing those weaknesses for a reason. So, Lord, we want to bring our weaknesses to you. Lord, we want to bring our impossibilities to you. And there's some that are represented in this room right now. Every head is bowed and eyes are closed. Let's just come before him. Now let's do this one thing together. And it's something that we should do daily, all the time, and every moment. Lord, I'm weak. But Lord, I know where I'm weak, there you will be strong. My greatest weakness can be become, Lord, my greatest strength if I trust in you, if I let you in. Lord, we let you into our minds, God, our places of hopelessness. God, whether, whatever it is, our struggle over sin, Lord, our struggle with failure from the past, Lord, our fear of the future, even those present struggles right now. Lord Jesus, and let's do this together. Lord, we invite you to come. We see you in the boat of our lives. And there you are, the one who can do wonderful, miraculous things. Lord, would you come? And would you help us in the storms in our lives? Would you carry us? Would you fill us with hope and faith and joy? Joy in the journey. And may we wait upon you, God. Lord, there may be times when, God, we want that that storm to stop a lot sooner than you intend. Give us patience for the people. Give us faith for the impossibilities. Lord, give us dependence in the middle of it all. In Jesus' name, amen.